We've been preaching famous verses from the Bible. Last week, we were in the New Testament. Jesus wept, the famous verse. We're going to be in the Old Testament. I want you to open up your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Famous verse in the Old Testament. Have you noticed the older you get, the more courage you need? I'm serious. When I was a little boy, you know, I, you know, I, I thought I had courage. But the truth is, when you get older and you start battling sickness and disease and you start battling surgeries and start battling, you know, the financial situation, the work situation, and you start meeting and, and brushing shoulders with people, you find that that's where you really need courage. And the older you get, the more courage you need. And so we're going to look at verse 9 of Joshua. It's pronounced different ways, Yahshua, Joshua, Yahshua, uh, Joshua, but we know it's pronounced Josh. <laughs> Amen. So open your Bibles to Josh, chapter 1, verse 9. Stand for the reading of God's Word. God is speaking. This is not just a suggestion. This is a command from the Lord to Joshua. It says, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. What a promise. What an amazing promise. And I'm just going to draw a title from be strong and of a good courage. Maybe seated. When you look at the book of Joshua, and of course you read the uh, scriptures where Moses in the previous chapter is sending spies in to check the land, and, and um, Joshua is getting ready to take the children of Israel across Jordan into the Canaan land, uh, the land of milk and, milk and honey. And many people like to say, well, that's a typology of heaven. Well, first of all, when we get to heaven, it is the land of milk and honey that we live in today, but when we get to heaven, we're not going to milk cows, nor are we going to rob bees, nor are we going to fight Amalek, or the Amalekites, or the Jebusites, or the Canaanites, or the Jerbysites, or the Gerbites, or the termites, or the good knights. Amen. No, it's a picture of passing over this world into the new world of Christ. It's a picture of being born again, a picture of being victorious and changed by the power of God. Moses couldn't take him over because Moses, and of course everybody says, well, it was because, because Moses smote the rock twice instead of once. Well, yes, that enters into it, but the truth is they could, Moses couldn't take him over into the promised land because Moses is the lawgiver. He represents the law. And the law will never take you into the promised land. It takes Yahshua, Joshua, Jesus Christ. In fact, Joshua is another name for Jesus. And so it takes Jesus to take us over to the other side. When we stop and think about the book of Joshua, and um, when they came out of Egypt, bondage, did you know Joshua was first a slave? Joshua was first a slave. 
He was 40 years old, if you compare Caleb and Joshua about the same age. We're not told exactly how old Joshua was when he came out of Egypt, but we are told about Caleb. And I would assume they're probably in the same age group. And so when they left Egypt, uh, Caleb and Joshua was probably about 40 years old. And then in the beginning, Joshua was a slave. And we need to understand that Joshua knew what it was like to be under bondage. Joshua knew what it was like to have a hard life. He knew exactly what it was like. And so Joshua was a first a slave. He was a spy, bringing back a good report. He was a soldier, and then he became a successor of Moses. I don't know about you, but that's one job I wouldn't want to take to take the place of Moses. Wouldn't it be awful to have to take the place of Moses? Um, Moses is so dynamic and so powerful. And Joshua is going to take his place or Moses' place. In fact, at the beginning of this chapter one, God tells Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. Now, you know what happened to Moses. He went up on Mount Pisgah there around Nebo and, and God let Moses see the promised land. And then afterwards, Moses being 120 years old, God smothered him to death with Holy Ghost kisses. And then God buried him, and no one knows where he's buried to this day. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to die, I'd rather die being killed by Holy Ghost kisses. And I believe Moses was pretty much put to sleep by the power of God, by the Spirit of God, and then God hid the body of Moses. To this day, no one knows where it is. We know that the body showed up on Mount Transfiguration with Jesus. We know that the body's probably going to show up in the Great Tribulation, depending on how you interpret the two witnesses. But we do know that Moses didn't get to go over into the Promised Land. And God tells Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. He says, Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, Joshua was, Joshua was not a Catholic because it says he was just, well, you know, you stop and think about it. I guess Joshua would be a Catholic. He was the son of a nun, son of none. That's about the only Catholicism that Joshua had, by the way. Come on, don't get upset with me. Religious jokes are quite okay. Run around with your little chip on your shoulder, upset because I talk about somebody. Amen. And says, my, Moses, my servant Moses is dead, God said. And so God tells Joshua, I'm going to have you take his place. And you're going to take the children of Israel over Jordan into the promised land. Wow. Now, how many know that that was probably a shocker to Joshua? Because Joshua is actually the minister to Moses. Joshua was one who stayed at the base of the mount when the Ten Commandments were given. Joshua is also one who guarded the tent where Moses went to meet with God. Joshua was a soldier. He was a warrior. And Joshua was not a you know, timid person. He was a powerful person. Yet God told him, be strong. 
and of a good courage. You think, was that really necessary? I, I would think so if I was going to take Moses' place. But anyway, uh, the, the Bible says that four times God tells Joshua to be strong and of a good courage. Verse 1, uh, actually uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, uh, in verse 6, be strong and of a good courage. In verse 7, it says, only be thou strong and very courageous. Verse 9, it says, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. The, the most, one of the famous verses in the Old Testament is this, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So God tells Joshua, I want you to be strong and of good courage. He even went as far as to say in verse 7, I want you to be strong and I want you to be very courageous. Well, best I can understand, the best I can figure out, courageous is more than just courage. Courageous is past, uh, courageous is being victorious over everything. So you find be strong and of a good courage in verse 6, 7, 8, and then verse 18. He says again, and this is not God speaking here. This is the people that decided that they would follow Joshua. In fact, the people are speaking, verse 17, this chapter 1, according as we hearken unto Moses in all things, the people are telling Joshua, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. These are the people telling Moses. And these people are telling Moses that are following Moses, whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandments, whose commandments? That would be Joshua's commandments. And will hearken unto thy words, that'd be Joshua's words, of course we want them to be the same as God's, in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death if he rebels. We're gonna, we're gonna kill them if they don't follow you, uh, Joshua. They said, only be strong and of a good courage. How many know God wants you to be strong and of a good courage? But I want you to be strong and of a good courage. And you want me to be strong and of a good courage. Your children want you to be strong and of a good, good courage. Your loved ones want you to be strong and of a good courage. Your friends want you to be strong and of a good courage. When you're going through a hard time, battling cancer or battling heart disease or battling some type of uh, uh, sickness, we want you to be strong and of a good courage. When the doctor says you've got something that's not going to be cured, be strong and of a good courage. When you battle depression and discouragement, be strong and of a good courage. On Wednesday night, be strong and of a good courage. If you got tribulation in your home and heartbreak in your home and hard times in your home, be strong and of a good courage. Whatever you're facing, going through a storm or going through a heartbreak in your life, maybe a death in the family or maybe a, 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 a upset in your life, be strong 
and of a good courage. Why? Because your children need you to be strong and of a good courage. Your pastor needs you to be strong and of a good courage. Your loved ones need you to be strong and of a good courage. And you need to be strong. You need to be strong and of a good courage. And God has commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. But who in the world is God telling be strong and of a good courage? Well, I think he tells us all through the scriptures, though the Old Testament wasn't written to us, it was written for us. Though not all the Bible is written to us, but it's written for us. So the Bible is rich toward us and information toward us and strength toward us. So Joshua is told, be strong and have a good courage. I think it's important that last verse of 18, the people that followed Joshua needed him to be strong and of good courage. We need each other and we need people in our lives that we can, that we can consider heroes of faith. Now, we don't look at people, we don't follow people, but we do need people that will stand with us and we need to be able to see people that are real. Amen? I like to see real Christians. How many like to see real Christians? I like to talk to real Christians. In fact, I like to see real $100 bills. I don't like to see phony ones. I went to the bank, and they, they were going to give me some $100 bills. And, and I reached down and pulled out a pen, and I marked them as they gave them to me. and said, what are you doing? I said, making sure you're not giving me counterfeit. Well, if they're going to treat me that way, I'm going to treat them that way. Amen. If I ever pick up a counterfeit $100 bill, it, it will either be at the bank or in church. Hello. Someone answer that. Being called in. But the Bible says we're to be strong and of a good courage. And, and I want everybody to understand who God is speaking to here. God is speaking to a commander. God is speaking to a, a minister of Moses. God is speaking to a soldier. God is speaking to a warrior. God, God isn't speaking to an anemic person that doesn't have any courage. God is speaking to an incredible person, Joshua, who knew what it was to battle. Are you listening to me? In fact, Joshua is down in the valley fighting uh, Amalek. You'll find this in the 17th chapter of Exodus. Joshua is down in the valley. He's fighting the army of Amalek. And while Joshua is fighting the battle of Amalek, Moses is up on a hill, and Moses got his hands up. And as long as Moses had his hands up, the children of Israel prevailed and was winning. But when Moses got tired, the Amalek began to prevail and overtake Israel. And every time Moses held his hands up, power and victory was happening. Joshua was just going at it. I mean, with the sword. <laughs> and some people say, well, why in the world did God allow the children of Israel to go into the Canaan land? And, go into, and of course, they weren't in the Canaan land yet at this juncture, but uh, it was in the wilderness. But why in the world did God allow the children of Israel to go into Canaan land and possess the land? They fought some bloody battles. In fact, there's some people that want to criticize God for being so brutal. 
But I want you to understand something. The Canaanites and the people of Canaan land, the, the land that God promised them, the land of promise of milk and honey, that land was full of pagan, hateful, wicked, cannibalism. They killed their own children. They skinned their own children alive. They put children in the walls of their house and covered them up and let them starve and listen to the cries of their children. You say, how do you know that? Because excavators have discovered that that's how brutal and how wicked these people were. And so God was saying, I'm going to bring judgment to them. And he used his children of Israel to go in there. And of course, they captured the land. The thing is, God said, I'm not going to let you have the land all at once. I'm going to let you have a piece at a time, just a little bit at a time. Because if I don't, if, if I give it all to you at once, then the fields will grow up. The fruit trees will waste away. The land will become um, possessed with beasts and, and it would just, you know, go to the wild. And so he said, I'm going to let them keep the land, kill the land, take care of the land, the enemy. I'm going to let the enemy take care of the land and keep everything fixed up for you so when you win the battle, it'll be in good shape when you get it. Now, that is smart. Let me know God is smart. And that's why he didn't give them the land all at once. In fact, God promised Abraham, the, land, the children of Israel, God promised Abraham and Moses, the children of Israel, God promised them from the, well, we'll look at the scripture here in just a little bit, and it'll show us where that promise was. But anyway, it was from uh, Jordan, uh, from um, um, the from great river Euphrates into, uh, um, well, look at verse 4. And the wilderness, and this said, and this, verse 4, Lebanon, even under the great river, and Lebanon, even under the great river, and the river Euphrates, and all the land of the uh, Hittites, and under the great sea, that great sea is the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun, that'd be eastward, to the, to the coast. He's, he's saying, Israel will be able to take on Iraq, Euphrates River. Actually, God promised Israel 300,000 square miles. And Israel has never possessed 300 square miles ever. Israel has possessed at the reign of David and Solomon 30,000 square miles. 30,000 square miles. Israel has never Possess the full land. And that tells me one day they shall. Because a promise from God is a promise that will be kept. Amen. And one day they will get it all. Probably in the millennium, I'm sure. And that will be a great time. And that's even proof that the millennium, the millennium is necessary. But anyway, uh, when you stop and think about Moses got his hands up. They're winning the battle. Joshua's Where's Joshua? He's down in the valley fighting. And you got Aaron and her up there with Moses. All Moses is doing is, well, good for you, Moses. But then his hands get tired, and they start Israel starts losing the battle, and Amalekite begins to win. Moses raises his hands up. Puts his hands down. And Moses is probably going, wow, 
Moses may, may be looking at a group of people that kind of refused to obey him and maybe complained about him. And Moses said, there they are. Whoa! The wife said, oh, raise my hand up. Now, I don't think Moses would do Well, maybe. It's, you read about him, he's pretty, pretty, pretty powerful, pretty amazing. But when Moses got so tired, the Bible says that Aaron and her, which were priests, would go and raise the hands of Moses up. And guess who's doing the fighting? Joshua. Joshua's yielding the sword. It's Joshua that God is telling, be strong and of a good courage. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. So you may be strong, but God's still commanding you, be strong and of a good courage. You may feel like you're strong, but God's still commanding you, be strong and of a good courage. You may feel like you've got your world together. You may feel like you're strong, but God is telling you, be strong and of a good courage. Amen? It's those that think they're strong that needs to hear God say, be strong and of a good courage. Because if you go to if you go to thinking that you're strong and you go to trusting too much in your own flesh and ability, then you get into serious trouble. Now, God tells Moses, be strong of a good courage. He said, wherever you go, I'll be with you. Verse 9. In fact, I want to point this out. God said to Joshua, I am with you. First, God said to Joshua, be strong and the good courage. Then he says to Joshua, and he told him that four times, verse 6, 7, 9, and 18. Then God tells Joshua, I am with you three times, verse 5, 9, and 17. God tells Joshua, I am with you. Look at verse 5. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Isn't that good? And then he tells uh, Joshua, I, I am with you in verse 9. I'm with you whithersoever thou goest, the last part of verse 9. And then verse 17, God tells Joshua again, I am with you. Look at verse 17. Notice it says in the last part of verse 17, only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Now, I realize that the people that are following Joshua are the ones speaking that, but they're just repeating what God said. Amen? You do well to repeat what God says too. Amen? Woo, praise the Lord. Man, I tell you what, it's so good to worship the Lord. So awesome to know that we can be strong. Amen? 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Amen? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a strong mind. Amen? Hello. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. We don't have to be afraid. God is with us. We don't have to be afraid. God will sustain us. God will never leave us. But we have power because God is with us. And of love because God raptured us and possessed us by his love. And a sound mind. God knows some of you haven't arrived there yet, but you'll get there. Hello. Amen. I'd like for my mind to be a little more sound when I'm trying to go to sleep. You know, it's crazy when you get ready to go to sleep and your mind just asks a stupid question. 
And then your mind spends the rest of the night trying to figure out that stupid question. Well, you know, I said to my mind, you brought it up. I'm going to sleep. Hello? God, God said to Joshua, I am with you. Three times he told him, I am with you. Now, he talks about the blessing of God's word. I want to point out something, too. When they were getting ready to go into the promised land, to cross Jordan, Jordan was full harvest, full bank. It's amazing how God, you know, God could have took them over there when Jordan could have just been done. When, when Jordan was real small stream, they could have just went over there. But no, God waits till Jordan's flooding at harvest time, and Jordan is racing. No, God has to wait till we're really in a battle to show himself strong in us. God has to wait till we're really facing something horrific because God says, you ain't going to learn anything jumping over little squirts of branches. You're going to learn by going through a raging testing of waters like Jordan River. In fact, when they came to Jordan, Moses told the, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh that you could stay on the east side of Jordan. And then Joshua tells him, if you're going to go on the east side of Jordan, you're going to have to go across Jordan and fight the battles with the rest of us before you can settle into your land. They wanted cattle land. They thought the land was better on the east part of Jordan. And so Joshua says, you're going to have to go fight. And um, they did. They went and fought the battle. You know, I've, I've given that a lot of thought. You realize how much they fought in Canaan land? You realize, you know, there's a battle of Ai, the battle of Jericho. You know, there's all these battles in the Canaan land, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, and all that. And you stop and think about the battles. And these guys said, you know, Reuben, half the tribe of Manasseh and Gad says, we want to be over there on the east side. And he said, okay, your wife can stay over there. Your children can stay over there. They can be at peace, but you've got to come across Jordan. You've got to fight. Have you ever stopped to think how bad a decision that was made? That was a bad decision made because they never got to see their wives forever. They didn't really get to see their children much because they were busy fighting. And many of them died, when I say many, not some of them died and never got to go back to the land that they wanted on the east side of Jordan. Now, uh, Joshua's dealing with this, and he's dealing with these, you know, these fractions that's taking place, and God is telling Joshua, I want you to be strong. Stop and think about what God is telling Joshua. You're going to have to take the place of Moses. That's the last thing I would want to ever do. Trust me, that's the last thing I would ever want to do is take the place of Moses. No. But Joshua got stuck with it, and he took the place of Moses, and he took the children across Jordan. Now, I want to point out something because I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I want you to understand that when they went across Jordan, it was full harvest. It was full. It was raging. It wasn't a small stream. You can go over to Israel now, and a lot of Jordan is not that wide. And you would think, well, what's the big deal crossing Jordan and that wide in some places? That's true, but God waited till it was really, really impossible. 
know how God does it. He waits till it's totally impossible. He said, God, why couldn't you have done this a month ago? God, why couldn't you have done this when I was this old? Or how couldn't you? And God said, no, 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 no. I want you sweating bullets before I move. Hello? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Hello? When they got ready to cross over Jordan, let me read this to you real quickly. It's in Joshua chapter 3, verse 3 through 8. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant, the Lord your God, and the priest of the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which ye must go. For you have not passed this way before. Let me say that again. You have not passed this way before. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I bring... Uh, I will bring, uh, magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so shall I be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, you shall stand still. And the water just stopped. The water just banked up. Water coming down from Jordan just stopped. Like God put his hand there. And the rest of the water just went on down into the Dead Sea. And the children of Israel just walked through Jordan River on perfectly solid, wonderful ground, solid in the presence of the Lord. But God said to them, in three days, you'll find this in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he said, after three days, I'll move the children of Israel across Jordan a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ after three days. And what he was telling them is after three days, you're going to cross Jordan. And when you cross Jordan, no more manna. When you cross Jordan, your diet changes. When you cross Jordan, your whole world changes. When you cross Jordan, you've got a brand new life, a brand new way a way that you've never known before. And he said, I'm going to take you in a way that you've never gone before. And let me tell you, when God takes us in a direction we've never gone before, that's when we need to be strong and have a good courage. Amen? Amen. Now, let me point out two things, and we'll wrap this message up. Notice in verse 4, it says, For you have not passed this way before. So Joshua says to the children of Israel, you have not passed this way before. Oh, you've went through the wilderness, you've circled around, you've been through battles, you've went through trials, but now you're going in a direction you've never gone before. You've never went this way before. And I want you to know that when we go in a direction we've never went before, we have got to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. He says, you're going in a direction. You're going in a place where you've never gone before. And he said, let me give you some instruction. So when you go into a place you've never gone before, let me give you some instruction. And I want to tell you in this room right now, 
I don't know when it'll be, but some of you will go in a direction you've never gone before. Maybe in sickness, maybe in finances, you're going to go in a direction you've never gone before. And you get older, I guarantee you're going to go in directions you've never gone before. The older you get, the more directions you go that you've never gone before. And so when you go in directions that you've never gone before, God's taking you into a place you've never gone before. And Joshua gives them insight as to what they would do. He said, now, when it's time to go across, he said, I'm going to have the priests bear the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant upon their shoulders. And they're going to walk down into the raging Jordan, full bank, full harvest. And as they put their feet in Jordan, the water will come to the brim of their feet, to their shoes, and immediately Jordan's water will stop. It'll just stop. Water will go to the Dead Sea. It'll bank up and immediately. And he said, I want the priest to stand in the middle of Jordan. I want the priest to stand there with the Ark of the Covenant. And I want them to stand there until everybody gets across. Now, here's the instruction that Joshua, that God gave Joshua to tell him. He said, when you get ready to go across into Jordan, he said, and that Ark of the Covenant is going across. You've never been this way before, verse 4. He says, yet there shall be a space between you and it, that's the Ark of the Covenant, 2,000 cubits by measure, which would be about 3,000 feet, above 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way which you may, must go. For you have not passed this way before. So he's trying to say, I want you, as the Ark of the Covenant begins to move, we're talking about a million Israelis. We're talking about a million Jews. How many know that's a big crowd? It's a big crowd. And so God's going to take the Ark of the Covenant, and here's what he's telling you to do. He's telling the children of Israel, you keep 3,000 feet away. You stand back. You, you stay back at least a half a mile. You've never gone this way before. Never gone this way. You don't know your way. So you stand back a half a mile. Why would you tell someone to stand back a half a mile? You would think if you've never gone this way before, you'd be doing this. He's trying to show you something. You've got to get far enough back from the crowd, the people, so that you can see the way you're going. You can't get caught up in the crowd. You can't, you can't get caught up in the, in the mob. You've got to stand back far enough that you can keep your eye on that Ark of the Covenant. You've got to stay back far enough that the people doesn't obstruct your view from the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to stand back a half a mile. Others, as they march across Jordan, they've got their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. But he said, I want you to stay back. And, and as you travel, they're going to travel a long ways. And as you travel, he said, I want you to be able to keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to say, I want you to understand today that when you're going somewhere where you've never been before, just remember this. If you've never gone there before, don't let people obstruct your view of Jesus Christ. If you've never gone in a direction before, you've never gone this way before, don't let the crowd decide for you what you're going to do. Don't let the masses decide what you're going to do because the masses are usually wrong. 
but God is never wrong. And so you watch the Ark of the Covenant, and you watch it so that you can see it, so you can see the way you're going. And how many know that is an awesome understanding of God's Word, that we cannot get ourselves in a place where we get obstructed with the crowd, obstructed with people. I love people, but you can't let people guide your way. You've got to let God guide your way. Amen? And so God is telling Joshua to tell the people, keep, stay back away so you can see that Ark of the Covenant. Because if you get up too close, all you're going to see is the people. And if the people go the wrong direction, you go the wrong direction. If the people are wrong, you're wrong. But you keep your eyes focused. And by the way, if everybody stays back far enough to watch the ark, then the whole crowd makes it over safe. But if everybody don't watch the ark, some of the crowd's going to go the wrong direction. But if everybody keeps focus on God, we all go together into heavenly places. We all go together in the right place. Amen. I tell you what, that's so awesome. There's one more thing I want to say real quickly. One of the things God told Joshua is, I want you to meditate on my word. I want you to focus on my word. I want you to meditate on my word, to muse on my word. Because he said, if you muse on my word, you'll be prosperous. Notice verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. What are you, what are you, what are you going to do? You're supposed to talk about God's word. You're supposed to talk about God's will. You're supposed to talk about God's spirit. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. You're supposed to think about it. Meditate. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. We've got to focus on God's word. Meditate on God's Word. There's one thing I do every night. Every night I do this. Before I go to sleep, every night I focus on one verse. And I speak that verse, not out loud, because Judy's trying to sleep, but I speak that word in my mind. And I meditate on that word. Nine times out of ten, almost ten out of ten times, I'll end up waking up preaching because you meditate on that word. It's kind of like cows chewing their cud. They get out there in the grass. they got several stomachs. Shoot, they ain't nothing. I've had two stomachs for years. But anyway, the cows are out there. They're chewing their cud, and they, they put it down in one stomach. If I remember my classes right, and then they, they can kind of, and regurgitate it and then chew it again. That's what's meant by meditation. Meditating on the Word of God. Amen? I'm sure glad it's the Word of God and not grass. But anyway, but you, you meditate on the Word of God. That's why a cow can be out there where there's no grass at all and just and start chewing again. Hello? Aren't you glad no matter where you go, if you're, if we're, you know, you're in a wilderness, you can just, the Word of God, there you go again. You start meditating on the Word of God. Amen. Hello. So we need to meditate on the Word of God. Think about the blessings of the Lord. Because God's Word is encouraging. 
How many would agree that God's Word is encouraging? I love to be encouraged by the Word of God. The blessing of God's Word is so encouraging as we think about the goodness of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord. We're supposed to meditate on God's Word day and night. Does that mean we just, you know, day and night think about a verse? Well, that doesn't, I don't think anybody physically can do that, but I think what he's saying is perpetually you should continue to think and meditate on God's Word. Day and night, you need to meditate on God's Word. And when you do that, you can be successful. Amen? How many would like to be successful? Now, here it is. God says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Dismayed, don't be displaced, don't be discomforted, don't be dismayed, don't be confused, don't be depressed, don't be discouraged, uh, be not dismayed, but be thou strong in the Lord. I've commanded you to be strong, be of good courage in the Lord. That's so good. When I first started preaching years ago, 45 years ago, I started preaching. And I had funeral services. I had to preach a lot of times when I was younger because I don't know why they, just, they picked me, the young guy. And I did a lot of funerals. The thing that really disturbed, you know, I, I, I'm not afraid to stand up here and preach to you. I'm not afraid to, you know, enjoy the blessing of the Lord. And, but I got nervous at funerals, and I'd get fearful. And when I'd get fearful to get ready to preach, I don't know why they were dead. They wasn't going to complain. But I, you know, I'd get fearful at a funeral. And I'd always quote that verse, Joshua 1, 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and with good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whether, whithersoever thou goest. And that verse took me through, bringing me courage to preach, courage to do funerals, courage to, to, to stand for God, courage to witness, courage to walk to the door and knock on it. And when they come to the door, present yourself and, and make a few com comments about you're glad to see him and then approach the place where you're trying to bring him to Christ and witness the ministry of God. I mean, no, you need courage when you do that. Need courage. Amen. Need courage. And I think a lot of times we feel like we're going to be, what, uh, rejected? Why is it we get fearful because we feel like we're going to be rejected? Well, our Savior was rejected. We're not any better than Him. Amen. I remember one time I went down to Glean, Missouri. I was door knocking, soul winning. And when I went up to the door, the screen was, it was just a screen door. There was, they had their door open, just a screen door there. It was a hot summer night, and I could hear them talking and hear them cursing, and they were smoking and drinking beer. And, and I'm walking up to the porch, and all of a sudden, someone shouts in the, inside the house, it's the preacher! Because they saw me coming. And I watched through the screen door. The guy takes his beer and slides it in behind the couch. He got a cigarette in his lips, slides that beer in behind the couch. 
on in, come on in. Uh, the other couple said, come on in. I stepped inside, and the guy realized he had this in his mouth. He grabbed it and stuck it down in the couch. I started telling them about Jesus. Started ministering the word of God. Smoke started boiling out of that couch. Smoke was coming up. You could smell it. Smoke was coming everywhere. And I'm telling them about Jesus. I said, you know, you need to know the Jesus. You're going to end up going to hell if you don't know Jesus. And, and, <laughs> and the smoke was just rolling out of the couch. I said, I said you got to know Jesus. And, and the guy said, uh, preacher, preacher, you've got to leave. I've got something I've got to do. Please go now. And I went out that screen door, and that screen door just popped. And I looked back behind me a little bit, and there that guy was pouring his beer in there in that, in that couch. And I'm walking away, and I just snicker, thinking, hallelujah, I left his house on fire. <laughs> Amen. Left his house on fire. <laughs> they went to church and got saved. A week later, gave the heart to Jesus, and he became a good friend of mine. In fact, we began to preach together across the country, all because his couch was on fire. Amen? You know, an old couch, especially an old couch, will burn really good. And get that hot, at, hot you know, cigarette down there in the couch. Say, so you preaching against smoking? No, I'm preaching against setting your couch on fire. And I just went away just rejoicing. Hallelujah. Walked. I was so proud of myself. Set, set his couch on fire. Actually, I didn't do it. He did it. Amen. You say, well, it's not wrong to drink. It's not wrong to smoke. Well, let me ask you a question. If it's not wrong to drink, why is it when I walk into a grocery store and, and some of the people that attend attend our church or did attend our church would have beer in it and wine. And when they see me coming, they go, their, their, their shopping cart is moving rapidly. They're catching second, third, and fourth gear up the aisle. They're going around the side because they don't want me to see what's in their cart. I mean, one time I went to Walmart. I can't remember where it was. Maybe it wasn't Walmart. It was someplace where they had beer. Consumers, maybe, back when there was a consumers. Can't remember for sure. But anyway, I walked in, and there was a member of a, not here, a different church, member of my church, and they had several six-packs. They had a bottle of wine. Actually, they had several bottles of wine. They saw, I walked in, and they saw me, and they just grabbed their cart. They started running up the aisle, and they ran around the corner. And I thought, I'm going to pursue. And I pursued. Well, when I pursued, she had went past the meat counter, and there was a bottle of wine with the pork ribs. I went on past the meat counter, and there was a six-pack of beer on the hamburgers. I went on around, and there was another bottle of wine in the tater chip aisle. And there was liquor all over that store where it shouldn't be. And when we arrived at cash registers, hallelujah, she didn't have a thing in her cart that she was embarrassed about. Isn't that good? 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, uh, I've discovered, of course, I don't like going to Walmart, but I've discovered if some of my members are gone for a while, I can go over there and find them. Amen. I discovered when COVID was real bad, can't come to church, COVID really bad, but I go to Walmart and find them all over there. Serious. Amen. Just going to find my, my sheep gone astray. And crowds bother them. You know, Walmart crowds don't bother them, but crowds bother them. Amen. Stand, stand with me. We're going to give an invitation. You've been waiting for that all evening, ain't you? Stand with me. How many would agree that's a great verse? Joshua 1 9, have not I commanded thee be strong and with good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. If you need courage, just quote that verse. If you're facing something, maybe a test at the doctor, maybe a treatment at the doctor, maybe, maybe you're going to be um, edited by the IRS this year. I don't know. I'm not prophesying. But whatever you're facing, whatever you're struggling with, have courage. Have courage because God is with you, whithersoever you go. God is with you. Amen. He loves you. And whatever you face, just remember, you can take this verse and know that God has given you strength and courage and he can he has told you he'll i'll be with you whether you sir so ever that voice he told moses he told uh, joshua as i was with moses so i will be with you amen i got another one for you as god was with jesus so will he be with you because greater is he that's in you than he is in the world lo i'm with you always even to the end jesus said and in Matthew chapter 28, God is with us. Josh is going to play and sing. We're going to invite you to lay hold of some of that strength. Lay hold of some of that courage. Because we don't have to be fearful. Greater is he that's in us than he is in the world.